Hey, this is J.D. Webb with Got Mead Live. We're about six, seven minutes away from coming live at you tonight. We're going to be talking about Golden Coast Meads. And uh, we'll have Frank Goldbeck on the line with us from San Diego and Julian, California. A whole lot more Got Mead Live, so stick around. We're coming here soon.
Well, we're going to start out with a little bit different, kind of a beginning tonight. First, I want to throw a shout out to Mazer828. Now, I got to tell you, we were talking about this before we went live. I had both AJ and Vicky check this out. Okay. It got me. It got me good. Okay. Uh, and if you haven't seen this, uh, I'll have... That'll teach you to the, be serious uh, about mead making. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll put up the link uh, to this post. Uh, it's already on the page. This nice. Is, uh, this is from the from the Got Mead Live and Mazer828. Here's your shout out that I forgot all about last week, partner. Now, he, respond, uh, he responded to a thread started by Marauder211 about an issue that he was having with corks and he's asking about cork soaking and and that kind of thing well mazer 828 responds back and he says hey watch this video it's it's uh, quite educational well i clicked on it and it is the most funniest hilarious thing you have ever seen in your life cork soakers you gotta check that out but hey, welcome to Got Mead Live. This is a show where you can meet all sorts of people that impact mead making, including beekeepers, honey specialists, and even people who have turned a hobby into a business. Always a party here at Got Mead Live. My co-host tonight, as always, Vicki Rowe, owner of GotMead.com, and of course, AJ Ermans, longtime winemaker, beer brewer, mead maker, and toothless rabbit keeper. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm reading this and going. You probably should have said keeper of the toothless rabbit. Keeper, because, keeper of the toothless rabbit. Because I'm pretty sure AJ still has her teeth. Bun <laughs> uh, housing the destroyer is the one without the teeth. How is how is the bunny doing? Oh, he's fine. He was in my face for dried cranberries earlier today, and he's awesome. kind of adorable. All right. Well, hey, uh, tonight's guest, guys, uh, Frank Goldbeck. And I'm really eager to talk to Frank and uh, the folks down at Golden Coast Meads. Uh, they're out here in California, San Diego. And uh, I understand that they've also got a tasting room in Julian. And I know neither one of you have been to Julian, but it's a very old town. Uh, it's up in the, up in the hills uh, down there, nestled into the, in, in the uh, low, it's called low mountains. Uh, it's very woodsy, uh, a really cool place to go. Uh, we'll be talking to Frank here later on. But uh, first of all, let's start out with this. What are we drinking tonight, Vicki? Well, since uh, we were the recipient of a lovely uh, um, selection of meads from Golden Coast, thank you, Frank and Sam and guys, um, we got, uh, I am drinking Golden Coast Sour Orange Blossom. They're doing a lot with sour meads, like sour beers. And this is a new thing in the mead world. I haven't seen any sour meads out there yet. I'm sure there's some out there, but I haven't seen them. And this is, it's a smidge cloudy, and I suspect that's due to the bread that they use to, to make the mead. But it's, uh, it's tart, but sweet, but it's all balanced, and it's got this sort of puckery thing going on almost a citrus note and my husband and when he tasted it he says he said um that he liked it first of all he's not a big sweet mead person so you know this was something that put him 
right where right where he liked it. And he said this would be a great palate cleanser between courses. And then also, I'm thinking this would be a really awesome hot weather mead. I, I could see drinking this sitting by the beach, you know, taking taking four or five bottles of this in a cooler down to the beach with me. Easy, no problem. Yeah. And, uh, honey and, and, and sour all at the same time. It's really cool. Wow, cool. And AJ, uh, I see you changed yours up. Are you? T- yeah, I changed mine up. Um, ah, a friend of mine. A friend of mine or brought, die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. A friend of mine brought over um, a imperial a, a imperial stout that's like ten or thirteen percent, and I wanted to try that. But then I've got all these lovely Golden Coast orange blossom meads that I really ought to try and I've just uh, you got, you've got the sour um, JD's got the other one and I've got the orange blossom one so yeah. I figure if we have all three different types then we're covered there yeah. you go <laughs> and it's carbonated and it smells friggin amazing yeah yeah and uh, I am drinking and the Golden Coast Savage Boy dry wildflower mead and I gotta tell you this is by far the best I've had yet. It's right up my alley. Uh, you know, you really need to come up to the Mazer Cup and buy a <laughs> ticket to the open pour. I mean, I'm just saying, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and my, you know, I mean, everybody knows my my mead tasting is extremely limited with, you know, what I've been able to drink here on the show and ones that I have run across, which is really far and few between. But so far... Uh, to date, of all the ones that I've had, this, this this is by far the best. It is absolutely perfect. It's carbonated, and everybody knows about my love-hate thing with the carbonated drink thing. Beer, I love carbonated, but everything else, nah. This is carbonated, but it is so light. It's just a mild tingling on the tongue. It doesn't affect my my first taste of that that first blast that you get in your mouth. Uh, it's it's somewhat dry, a little on the dry side. I mean, it smells amazing. I can even taste the honey in it, so it does have that little tiny bit of sweetness in it. This is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. This is the kind of mead that I want to make at home, guys. So. Uh, and I'm sure I, I bet Frank is listening, and I bet he's jumping up and down in his seat. <laughs> uh, show links tonight, uh, as always, gotme.com website. Uh, just click on the radio deal up there at the top on the uh, menu. And if you're mobile, you can go to TuneIn. Uh, actually, I think all of the links now are on gotme.com. If you just go there, I think you can get all the apps right from there. So you don't have to yep. go anywhere else. Yeah, you can go there and get the apps or from there get out to the various places. So, yeah. yeah. So, if yeah, I'm missing anything, please somebody let me know. I think I got them all. So. Yeah, I mean, everything everything about our show, uh, both replay, both live, even if you're mobile on the TuneIn app, uh, if you can't uh, get it directly from the, uh, from the show link, everything is right there at gotme.com just click on that radio page link up there at the top of the menu bar and i can just forget about all the rest of this stuff right <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean I, I over and over and over i keep doing this and i think you know what this is a waste of time everything is right there on gotme.com we don't need to be talking about soundcloud and all the rest of that stuff 
you know, everything, all the apps, everything you need. Now we're just trying yeah. to impress you with how widespread we are. We're everywhere all the time. Well, we're watching. We yes. And just so you know, we're watching you. Yeah. We, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we are watching you. We are uh, watching you. Yes. <laughs> you guys are too busy drinking this mead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's too cold in Canada to go out and watch people anyway. So <laughs> we are, uh, we are, I mean, we're hitting up SoundCloud, Stitcher radio or tune in for the live stuff. I mean, we're just, we're everywhere. <laughs> We're in syndication. Syndication. So, uh, and then with that, uh, if you haven't seen the article yet, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, one of those nasty little plugs again. Uh, you can check out my article, JD's Adventures in Mead Making. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when are you gonna write the next one? People are waiting. You know. I, yeah, I'm working on the next one. It uh, it'll be posted next week. I don't I don't want to do them too often back to back. Um, because no, no, do one every couple of weeks. That'll be yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just spread uh, it out, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and make sure when you're doing it, you know, on the right side where you got the publish thing. There's also a uh, there's also a, a social media where you can tell it to publish to Twitter and Facebook too. Oh, awesome! So, yeah, so I added that so that you know we can do that. So please do that so everybody out there sees it. Perfect. I wish there was a button where I could say publish to the forum, but we don't have that yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on that. I hired a really good, I hired a hotshot programmer who's helping me with the site. And uh, he's a, he happens to be a uh, forum expert with this forum software that we use. So we may, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and Brian, uh, Brian Funk, I hope I'm saying the last name right, F-U-N-K-E. And I found this post over at Needmaker's Facebook uh, group page. And I'm still not clear about all this group stuff. I belong to three or four. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I just see these posting these posting things pop up on my Facebook. So I just I, hey, cool, go there. Yeah, the it. groups are just they're just people have created areas where you, it's like the, it's like a forum board. Only it's yeah. on Facebook. Same kind of thing. So it's yeah, like if you were in the newbie board or in the pro board or whatever, you know. Yeah, and got Mead's got one. Uh, Everybody's got one. And you, yeah. yeah, you can. There's there's probably two dozen Mead sites or Mead groups that are um, pretty good size. Yeah, and uh, Brian Funk uh, over at the Mead Makers Facebook group, he want uh, he wanted to know more about the refrigerator controller devices. These are uh, things that you can pick up from brew shops. Uh, you plug your refrigerator in, plug it into the wall. And you can actually fine tune the cooling part of your refrigerator. And uh, if you uh, tune in next week, my article, Brian, I'll be posting uh, pretty soon. It may not be next week, but keep an eye on my article because I'll be posting some articles up and pictures about my Rube Goldberg setup, which includes building uh, from scratch one of these uh, digital controllers that you can actually use to control a refrigerator. So, uh, shameless post by JD Webb for JD's adventures in mead making on gotmead.com. Uh, always like to push the patron membership, Vicki. Um, gosh, there's just so much more information on the other side of the forum that uh, if you're not a patron member, you don't see. So, uh, get to 25 bucks. I mean, for a year, for crying out loud, it's just a year, 25 bucks. Uh, get that in and. Uh, and, uh, you know, become a patron member uh, at gotme.com. So uh, with that, we're going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, Frank Gallback from San Diego, Golden Coast Mead. Sit tight, don't wander off.
most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey. Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead, and I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. Golden Coast Meads are delightful, authentic, and good for the planet. Crafting San Diego-style mead, effervescent, semi-sweet meads that are refreshing any time of the year, Golden Coast Mead endeavors to be a force for good in the world, specifically by helping bees, beekeepers, and the ecosystems we depend on. They donate 1% of gross revenue to the causes that help bees thrive, and save the bees. Uh, actually, hold on. So I guess it says save the bees, drink mead. I, I just, I'm not good at reading this stuff. <laughs> uh, save the bees, drink mead, learn more, and order a bottle of delightfully surprising mead at goldencoastmead.com. And I tell you, you got to check that website out. Uh, they are with it here in Southern California. And from Southern California, actually, I would say sunny Southern California, but I don't know what the weather is down there uh, uh, in San Diego, Frank. But up here, it's uh, a little cloudy and actually raining. So, but, uh, hey, please welcome Frank Gall- Gallback from Golden Coast Mead. Hey, guys. Great to, great to be on with you. Good to have you. Thanks. Thanks. So, yeah, and it was a beautiful day, JD. It was uh, sunny, oh, wow. beautiful sunset. We're we're lucky to be here. That's for sure. <laughs> so much for El Nino, huh? Well, so far, uh, we, anyway. it's going the right direction. We're getting a lot more rain. The beekeepers are uh, looking forward to a good crop 
uh, down here. So we're, we're hopeful. I, um, I, I got to start this out. Uh, I thank you very much for the uh, bottles of mead. Uh, they came mm-hmm. to the, I, Yeah. I didn't open them up. I wanted to wait till tonight. And I got to tell you, Frank, uh, this, I'm drinking the Savage Boy uh, mead. And this is. Savage Bois. Sa- Bois. <laughs> this, can this, tell JD doesn't speak French. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is my absolute best mead I've ever tasted so far. Ah, ah thanks, man. That's I, a huge I, compliment. I, well, I mean, I have a pretty short list. Is, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, out of the 10 uh, beans he's tried, so, yeah. you know, it's a start. <laughs> this is, uh, I, I don't typically go for, for carbonated beverages, and this is so mildly carbonated. I mean, it's just perfect. Uh, Thank you. And the dryness is perfect. I can taste the, uh, the a little bit of the sweetness. The aroma is perfect, right on the money. I mean, this stuff is good. Uh, thank awesome. you. My uh, pleasure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, uh, it's a special need. And for foodies, which I take it you are. Um, yeah, from, from what I've heard. yeah, I do all the cooking in my house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he posted stuff <laughs> on, on the web, makes all the rest of us drool. Yep. <laughs> I gained five um, pounds just looking at his Facebook page. Oh, I know. Yeah. We recommend the, the Savage for, for people who are into pairings and. Uh, I think it's a pretty delicate, uh, balanced mead. Well, tell us how it all started, Frank. Hey, JD. Uh, well, I was, I was about eight years old. My grandpa made mead. And oh, really? he was an apple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was an apple grower up in San Bernardino County, uh, Yucaipa, Oak Glen, Los Rios Rancho, family apple ranch. Um, and when he retired from growing apples, he had a little tasting room where he made all kinds of things, berry wines, fruit wines, uh, apple wine, uh, some grape wine and some mead. And, uh, he, um, when he would pull the mead out, I just saw the mood in the room change immediately. And people just, you know, people I didn't know became friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Those those mean people in the back of the room suddenly nice. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like they were like scary and kind of grumpy and then they became funny and friendly. And uh, I was like, pop, what is this stuff? And he's like, Oh, it's an adult drink made from honey. I was like, Oh, I I know what honey is. I don't know what an adult drink is, but that sounds interesting. And so uh, kind of stuck in, stuck in my mind, but the family, uh, sold the Apple Ranch to a conservancy that's still operating it, uh, but, but we're no longer in the picture there and the tasting room closed. And so Mead kind of left my life for a little while, but then read Beowulf in high school and, you know, epic Viking warriors drinking mead before and after slaying monsters really appealed to my 14 year old self. <laughs> before, during, before, during, and after. I mean, they pretty much uh, yeah, drink mead right. all the time. You know, it's like, it was like hack slash with one hand and drink from the horn with the other, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't have a mead horn? You're right. That's I don't have it. I don't have a mead horn. Sorry. I do have many yeah, I don't skins, either. though. I have mead skins. I have, I have botas. Okay, you exactly. win. I, I only have a horn. <laughs> Yeah, mine don't spill, so there, you know. Um, Mine's big enough; it doesn't spill if you've got drunk half of it. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing I don't tell you about the mead horn is that there's like an introductory period where all your meads smell like cow. 
Yeah. And then over time that goes away. But uh, <laughs> oh no, I dipped mine in beeswax, so everything yeah. tastes like honey, even water. Oh, it's awesome. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get it. Don't let it get warm. Of course, she lives in Canada. She had it down here. The thing would be dripping all over everything because it would melt. You know. I mean, yeah. Actually, it's really lucky that a friend of mine happened to be coming over because whoever delivered the mead you sent me left it on my doorstep at minus twenty. Whoa, whoa! I was well, like, it didn't freeze. That, that yeah, yeah, they were almost. Uh, they were almost mead sickles, Frank. You know, almost <laughs> mead slush. Well, so, um. That would be an interesting way to serve it. I guess. We're we're in, hey. into experimentation around here. And, no, hey, uh, I know people. I know people that are doing that with their home meads, and they're making meads. I I remember somebody mm-hmm. doing mead sickles, and I can't remember where I saw it, but I thought, oh, that's so cool! What a great thing for summertime, you know. <laughs> And that's one of the things that I love about our category, right? Like, no rules have been written. And, uh, weird Amel is fun, yep. <laughs> and, and it's totally uh, creative and fun for that. But I'm, I'm sure we can get into the whole UC Davis category branding uh, discussion. Um, oh, yeah. If, if, if we're interested in that, that was, that was a really cool thing to witness and be a part of and, and come out of with those brand essences for the category of need um, being non-conformist, uh, versatile, right? It can be paired with anything. You can do so many different styles with it. Um, and then the other two pieces were, um, forgive me, uh, timeless. That, that is not just historical, right? It goes back to before history to our hunter-gatherer ancestors finding beehives that had flooded and spontaneously fermented. And so all the great cultures of the world had some kind of mead tradition and it's kind of been forgotten about, but we get to bring it back. And then the last piece that like, there is a fundamental difference between beer, wine and mead and uh, how the sugar at its root is produced. And with mead, since it comes from honey, which is really the nectar off the top of a healthy ecosystem, we have a really rich story to tell with, um, mead being the drink that kind of brings us back into balance with nature. If you're into that kind of stuff, uh, which I happen to be. So, <laughs> well, you started out, uh, I mean, you were, you were introduced to it, uh, you know, when you were a youngster, uh, oh, right, right. then Didn't high school, college, uh, what took you into the meadery? Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, so Beowulf and then, my grandpa and I were cleaning out his attic, um, summer home from college. And there in the attic is a dusty old box. And I'm like, no way that looks like a case of wine. And we open it up and there are bottles of his old fruit wine. And I'm like, starting to shake at this point because I'm like, is there a bottle of meat in here? And I go through them, pear wine, apple wine, peach wine, grape wine, last bottle I pull out is a bottle of honey wine oh, and wow. I'm like under screw top 15 years old, at least at this point. Um, and, and I, I, my eyes are just as wide as they can get. And I look at my grandpa, I was like, Puck, can I have this? And he's 89 at this point. <laughs> he is not really, um, interested in drinking mead. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> you can have that. Yeah, go ahead, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I take it with me up to school and share it with my best buddy, uh, Joe Colangelo, who's my co- one of my co-founders in the, the meadery, and my girlfriend at the time, Teresa, who's now my wife. And we have this, this 
Oh, yeah. I mean, we have this rose-colored night, and uh, and we're like, well, we got to get more of this stuff, and you can't buy it, so you got to make it. And our friends were brewing beer at the time. Uh, so we figured, well, we can figure out how to make mead. So we go on gotmead.com, at, you know. Uh, and, and There's another and one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. My children are everywhere. My children are everywhere. <laughs> Here, wait a minute. Let me get this right. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Frank. <laughs> it sounds really good in the room. It echoes in here. <laughs> oh, just halfway through her bottle. It should, it should be granted to Vicky that, like, you know, taking it from an email list uh, to a website really opened it up to a lot of people. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it, it did get a go because it was a um, Mead Lover's Digest, which wasn't mine, by the way. That wasn't me. I was just another member there. Right. But, yeah, but uh, as Got Mead grew, he started sending me more and more stuff and eventually handed the whole list over to me. And um, just that's when it got it's all posted on Got Mead now. It's not no longer an active list. But all of the co- copy from there is still out there. It's on- I was digging through the archives in the mid 2000s like really trying to get what it would take to because you know as an undergrad like I'm back to me there's a serious investment and yeah. like, if it turns out then it's a great deal but if it's wasted you know well all you but, had to do is follow mike uh fall because he and i were buddies on the on the mead lovers on the mld back when he was still it geek back when we were both still it geeks actually and um and we were talking about how we we're going to take over the world with me and he went out and actually did it with making you know with with doing uh um rabbit's foot and you know i went on to do the got mead stuff so different directions but yeah we were plotting that way back in the 90s <laughs> try to take but similar a similar impact right like i mean without what you did on got Mead, i don't know if it you know if this would have come right so so got me.com uh found a recipe made it uh, you know, went down and checked the fermenter every day, often multiple times a day. Now this is in the basement of my student co-op in Berkeley. Yeah. So <laughs> I had 35 ready and willing, uh, compatriots to try it on when, uh, when we bottled it. And, uh, like it was a chemistry experiment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah and and you know keep in mind these are college boys so they're like no, no, we don't care if it's rocket fuel we'll drink it if it gets us drunk it's all good you know? i dig it i dig it go on we cannot encourage that kind of behavior okay we're in we're in the business so over 21 i can i'm not in the business so yeah <laughs> oh wow we're gonna have a fun night go ahead yes we are yes we are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that first match was terrible, um, but you know it was the starting point, and it was it was really a lot of fun. And uh, tweaked the recipe, um, and before we knew it, people were drinking five gallons in a night, and dance parties were getting um, pretty wild pretty quickly. And oh, we were like, <laughs> what's, what's your fastest emptying of a five gallon pail? <laughs> Uh, well, it was actually out of the cardboard. <laughs> yeah, out of the cardboard. Oh, I even, see, I was using the pails with the spigots poured into the bottom. So, you know, like, there's a spigot at the bottom, you pull the airlock, and voila, you've got a five-gallon coffee urn full of, you know. 
this was racking pain on a table. People oh thinking my God. your is out of the box. <laughs> so please tell me there weren't girls. Please tell me there weren't girls lying on the bar in front of there with a racket. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. Luckily, the yogurt was, container was. It, yeah. it was Berkeley, right? He's going to have our number, I'll tell you. Mm. <laughs> uh, right. Wow. So then, so after one of these nights, my business partner, Joe, was like, you know, Frank, people love this stuff. They would give us money for it. And, uh, and that really lodged in my mind. I had, I had a uh, military service to complete after undergrad. So it wasn't going to happen any time. Navy. boy. Thank you. Yeah. Were you, Thank were you, you as well, JD? No, sir. But, uh, my father was, my uncles were, my grandparents were, uh, it goes on down the line, but uh, thank you for your service anyway. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. My daughter, my daughter and son-in-law both are serving in the army right now, active duty. So. Great. Yeah. It's, it's a good opportunity to learn how to work hard. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, 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 and how to overcome frustration. I've, I've heard too. So, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. My daughter's and, in, my daughter's in transportation, so you can imagine the frustration. I was in transportation. I, I drove ships, man. We, uh, oh, cool. I drove ships. Yeah, my, my daughter. My daughter is more in logistics. She's the gal who organizes the convoys to get the you know all the stuff to wherever it's got to go. You know. Yeah. Not, nothing happens unless something moves. I hear that. That's I right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah. So, so people paying you for to- this, uh, and then you decide to open a metery. Well, yeah. So we're we're in the navy. We're uh, making me, drinking me, collecting honeys from all over the world. Get to deploy mm-hmm. a couple of times and collect acacia honey in Africa and longinberry uh-huh. honey in uh, Thailand. And you know, just wow. oh my gosh, there's this honey in Japan that's like a clover honey that's the lightest, most floral, beautiful thing ever. It was all in Japanese, so I couldn't read what it was, but it was amazing. <laughs> And, um, and it really like blew the doors off what I saw possible in the main world that, um, this experience, this adventure was available to anyone in the glass. If someone just fermented these honeys and, and got it to them. Um, and so got really excited about that and, and imagine my life after the Navy because while it was a great opportunity to serve, it was also, 17 hour days, seven days a week, uh, not able to say no. And, um, imagine my, my wife asked me if you had all the time, money and energy in the world, what would you do? And my answer was make me and share it with people. And she said, well, we should be able to run a business doing that. Why don't you figure that out? So I called Joe back and said, Hey, my wife said we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is one of those discussions that took place before the wife even knew then, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and then, and then we, we, uh, hijacked my third business partner, Praveen, who, uh, came from consulting, uh, at Deloitte and private equity. So we're like, he can help us run the books and I'll make the mead and Joe will sell it and market it. And so, uh, the three of us, uh, charged ahead and I was able to uh, start the company and my second job, I, I got injured, uh, between my first and second tour. And so I was able to, uh, have an office job, my second tour, which was super sweet. Uh, like instead of 17 hour days, they were like seven hour days. And now I had 10 hours 
She'd be productive. Uh, <laughs> no kids yet, so you know that's a little different. Yeah, now, yeah that, that, uh, that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> joyfully, yeah, and and so uh, we we launched the company while I was getting out of the navy, and I got out in May of uh, twenty. 11 and had the licenses uh, June of 2011. So we were doing custom crush at a winery in East County, San Diego uh, called Triple B Ranches. Wonderful winemakers, uh, all estate produced wine and really uh, setting the bar for San Diego winemaking, uh, I think. And we learned a ton about going from five gallons to 140 gallons and then what it would take to scale from there. So that was the short, or we did, we did a 17 and 20 type ABC license. So in California, there's a bunch of different ways to get licensed uh, as a meadery. And the cheapest way is getting a, a 17 and 20, a wholesaler retail license. So you can do a custom crush contract with a winery, uh, give them your specs, be hands on if they'll let you, and then buy the product as basically a wholesaler and then go out there and sell it to bars and restaurants and grocery stores and bottle shops. Uh, so that's what we did to keep the risk low as we figured out going from five gallons to 140 gallons. Okay. And then from there, we uh, raised a 20K Kickstarter round, and that was enough to be dangerous. We got us our own first 1,000-square-foot facility and our first 300-gallon tank. Uh, then we realized we needed to raise some more, so we found out about Slow Money, which is this awesome movement to uh, reconnect people's investments with their values. So... Uh, folks can invest in kind of small local food businesses, uh, looking for an optimized social, environmental, and economic return. Uh, there's a great book out there called uh, Inquiries into the Nature of Slow Money that kind of talks about this. Um, and, and it doesn't have the answers, but it says, I know these are questions that need to be asked, and I'm asking you all who are reading this to help us solve them. So it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and so with Slow Money, uh, we found a couple partners that have really helped us grow, uh, including Mama Chia, uh, the, the Chia Seed Fruit Drink, uh, and other Chia Food mm-hmm. companies. They're, they're really great. Um, and so she's given us a lot of advice and support. And a couple other people who have uh, backed Ben and & Jerry's and King Arthur's Flower and 7th Generation, you know, those kinds of brands that have really put their mission uh forefront in their business and we, we really align with that and hope we can do it with me so that's what we've been doing learning a lot uh sharing a lot we wouldn't be here without all the people that have helped us i mean it's just incredible but we can repay them in need and as you know <laughs> that is a valuable thing how did you come up with the uh, san diego style thanks yeah so maury fletcher uh, was working at hydra brew a homebrew store in san diego and he was an assistant brewer at a couple places. And we went in there one day because the meads were making work kind of traditional wine style meads, uh, starting bricks of 24, uh, finishing bricks of one or two, ABV of 14. Um, and while there was a market for them, we really had to work hard to sell them. And we went into Hydrobrew to like start to experiment with some of the other recipes that were starting to pop up at the time on Got Me and then other places uh, using ale yeast. And we went in there and one of the employees was like, oh, you have mead questions? Let me get Maury. So we get in touch with Maury. And Maury's like, oh, you want to try mead with ale yeast? Yeah, I got one right here. 
So we try it. And we're like, oh, this is quaffable. <laughs> quaffable. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 you could imagine a use case where it's like, it's not just the end of dinner. It's not just a special occasion. It's every day. It's with food. It's um, mead becomes a daily beverage instead of a really special use case kind of thing, which, which it deserves to be, you know, um, but I think there's a huge opportunity in making an everyday beverage. So we start um, talking with Mari Mar and we're like, Hey, you want to come through with this? So he comes over to the meadery and uh, before long, he's our first employee and he's making these awesome uh, San Diego style meads. And we're, um, we're growing, much faster um, and getting, you know, it, it's an easier sale to say the least. So we kind of looked at the, at the category and didn't see a, a spot for an ALU seed. You know, we'd enter our needs into competitions and get feedback like this is different. <laughs> <laughs> Probably in that exact tone of voice. <laughs> Which, you know, I've been on, I've been on panels at the Mazer Cup and like by the end of your, of your experience, you've just had a whole gamut of, of needs and the nuance that I think is present in our mead is not as, as apparent because you're, you're dealing with some palate fatigue and you're dealing with, uh, um, something that the beer industry doesn't have to worry about because you're not comparing a goes against a stout, you know, but in the mead world, we haven't made those stylistic definitions. So things aren't going to shine out against one another just by the physical nature of their um, recipe. So we wanted to really put a flag in the sand that, that differentiated that style of meat. And so we started calling it San Diego style meat. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, I can't, God, I just, I can't put this bottle down. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to hurt myself with mine, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. And, it's, and you're, uh, I mean, this is made with the ale yeast, right? Everything you do is made with the ale yeast. We'll do a limited release um, Merce series. Our first recipe was called Merce in a Bottle. We got that past the TPB. It was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> TPB uh, wrote us back like four times, you know, uh, this specification is off. The size of this font is off. Um you're not including this piece of information, but it still says on the label, Merce in a bottle. So we go back and forth a few times for that first recipe, using wine yeast, using a hybrid, and they um, they finally send us one back and say, what does Merce mean? <laughs> what does <laughs> Merce mean? <laughs> this is like the feds. And so I'm like, well, we can't. Well, you know, but they're not mead makers, so why the hell would they know, right? <laughs> 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 so I'm like, okay, we can't glorify getting drunk because we're responsible alcohol producers, professionals here. Um, but we're also, you know, I'm, I'm a bureaucrat myself, you know, I'm in the Navy at the, or just out of the Navy. So I'm like, okay, it's the feeling you get when you're with friends. <laughs> <laughs> Which friends would those be? <laughs> uh, I went to drink a lot. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, I, you know what? I'm not that far from you. I'm coming to San Diego, Frank. I have been for, like, Frank, I've been telling him for two months. Have I not been telling him? I, 
Yep. He sits around and he grouses about how there's no good meat Wine in Southern Wine. California. Yeah, and he whines and he cries. And I'm like, Golden Coast is like less than an hour. For, what's your problem? And he's like, well, yeah, go wine, 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 wine. It's like, really? It's a little bit more. It's like two and a half hours from Ventura, well, right? I think yeah, maybe just well, take like 20 minutes from an oak, so you're not that far. I mean, the I'm, guy goes okay. tooling up the California coast on a whim to go look for, for apples. <laughs> for honey. I think he can do San Diego, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm retired and I'm going to North Carolina in April. So no, San Diego is not that far. Exactly. Good. Yeah. Good daddy. So, well, so, I, I, <laughs> so uh, okay, so go on. Uh, and you I, got this I, I, thing. Yeah. Through. Tell us more about that because there's a whole lot of wannabes out there that are going TTB. What's you got to say about the TTB? <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think one of the big things to realize is like. One of the best things we can do is read the rules. And and Sergio said this recently, right? Like, we read the rules, we figure out how to work within them, and then we work with the people on the other side. Because at the end of the day, there are people with jobs who just want to do a good job. Yeah, and help people. They're they're not they're, they're they're not in their offices going. Ha, 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 how can we screw right. over the meat makers today? They're not doing that. They just they don't know what they're dealing with. We're bringing them a whole new raft of stuff, and they're going. I have no idea what to do, so I'll say no, just to be safe. And they don't want to get in trouble, right? Like, no, of course not. Why? I mean, they could lose their jobs just as easy as any of us. So, exactly. you know, and, so, and uh, so. you know, to bring. To bring in a little bit uh, kind of parallel perspective to this, I I got a uh, trademark for Got Mead years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And I filed, you know, I mean, it's been called Got Mead for 20 plus years now. I filed for the trademark for the phrase Got Mead and for my for my uh, picture, you know, the, the logo on the site and all of that stuff. And I get the answer from the lawyer, who is a federal employee, back that says you can't do this it's too similar to got milk and it it, it violates trademark law <laughs> people Seriously. will get confused he said people will get confused this is what he said and i'm thinking okay then then they probably need to stop drinking because if they're confused between you know meat and milk and, and meat, milk, yeah. You know, yeah then, well, then they're I, drinking love, t- I love meat yeah. and cereal in the morning yeah well i, I don't know, know about that, yeah especially especially half stale cat and crunch in the morning after you had a really big drinking <laughs> night but that's what i'm saying. <laughs> Um, yeah, that we did. A friend who used to do that in college. He'd be standing in the kitchen with Captain Crunch and the hose from the beer from the beer t- uh, tank. Oh like, God! Yeah, yeah I was, this is the sad thing it. is, I could see that being not bad. I know, right? I know. This this is a friend of mine who's now got like a PhD in chemistry and a really good job. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, I, so I get this thing back from the lawyer, and I'm like, and I'm like, you, blah blah blah, durr, rar, rant, rave, holler, scream, stomp up and down, you <laughs> bastards, you know, and 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 I'm just being really pissed off. I'm like, how dare you? So I was like, fine. When when this, you know, when life hands you lemons. Get get technical, you know. So, yeah, so I, that's so right. I, yeah, you know, I'm going to science the shit out of this. So I went into I went into the USPTO database, which lists every trademark that has ever been created, <laughs> and searched every instance of anything that had the word "got" in it. Nice. There were 26 relating to beverages. <laughs> got beer, got wine, got cider, got this, got that, got the other, got ass, got this. You know, I'm just like, really? Seriously. So I listed them all, copied and pasted all these, and put them in a letter to the lawyer saying, 
thank you so much for getting back to me. I really appreciate your input on my trademark yes. application. I just wanted to write you back and ask you about all of these live trademarks that have already been issued for beer, wine, cider, uh, juice, <laughs> this, that, the other thing, and, and you know, partridge in a pear tree, and ask when you were planning on canceling all these trademarks because they are also too close to God, and <laughs> therefore would be confusing. And, and, and I get this about three weeks later, I get, I get this little email back that says your trademark has been approved. (laughs) (laughs) I was very polite, but I was just, I basically used their own information against them. And where I was going with this was there's been a lot of meteries already out there who've been there, done that with their labeling, with their recipes. And, um, again, I'm going to do a little plug here. Many of them are in the AMMA. Right. Yeah. 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 And and they now have a forum where all the pros go to talk shop. If you're not already a member of the AMMA and you either have or are considering having a meadery and you are not a member yet, you need to hurry the hell up and become one. Go to me. Was it mead-makers.org is the website? And um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mead-makers.org and sign up now because these guys are the ones that have been there and done that they've got the t-shirt they've got the hat and sometimes they have it private line into somebody who's pretty cool in the ttb that can help save you a whole lot of time and trouble you know and basically you know I do mean, what the other if you want to be successful do what the successful people are doing you know this podcast though is a great starting point i mean the amount of information you guys are sharing is such a shot in the arm to our efforts as mommy makers uh, to get our game to the next level. So really appreciate what you guys are doing too. Oh, well, you know, it's fun to do. I like it. This is, and honestly, the radio show wouldn't be happening if JD hadn't stalked me into it. So, Right. Yeah. That's a story will, that's been told a million times. Too. And it's never going to get old. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything so, about making so, meat at all. Yeah, dragging I had us back. her into making doing this radio show. So dragging <laughs> us out of the pro world for a moment and into the more of the uh, uh, you know cool things about mead. I'm drinking the orange blossom sour, Frank, and this. Oh yeah. This is so good. <laughs> this. Oh my gosh, it's like tangy. It's it's yeah. it's it's citrus, but without the citrus burn. So it's got this sort of tangy, almost sweet, but not sweet. The honey is right there in the middle of it. It's um. Why is it cloudy? Is that just because it went through the cold? Is it supposed uh, to be? You know, the bottle I've got in front of me has a bit of sediment at the bottom, so it could have gotten shook up. Like this and, is okay. one we don't filter. We don't filter our stout. Okay, that's what I figured. I was thinking about that, and I just didn't know okay. if it was supposed if that was a function of the travel or what so i was curious but i mean i love the flavors it it's my husband said it would make an amazing in-between course drink as a palate cleanser you know because yeah yeah, because it's so it's bright it's very bright and very clean and um i'm thinking and and i said this before we had you know called you in i like want a case of these in a cooler (laughs) with me with me at the beach (laughs) exactly we're in san diego yeah, Why this is we, this is a summer mead, and I mean, it's not that I won't drink it in the winter. I'm sitting here drinking it now, but I really like it. I want to know, but you know, <laughs> that being said, I want to know how in the world did you guys get onto sour meads? I'm assuming that it came from somewhere in the direction of sour beers, but talk to me about what happened with that because this is really different. Thanks. Well, divine intervention. 
Oh, this is, is that a good answer? Oh. This went bad and we can't afford to throw it out. Me, I got you. Oops. Now, okay, that tastes good. There was like there was definitely uh, a few iterations before the current batch that you're drinking, which I think is. Uh, <laughs> If not the best, one of the best meats we've ever made. I think that the sour orange blossom is as well suited to the beach and food pairing as it is to New Year's Eve. You know, like yeah. it is. Oh, I can see drinking this instead of champagne. Totally. In fact, yeah. I pl- in fact, I will be getting so you guys are you guys are selling through Vino Shippers, right? Right. Yeah. Just uh, all right. Cool. Well then, well then, I will go ahead and get me a half dozen bottles of this to stick in the cellar for next New Year's Eve. So. <laughs> Please, we would love to make that happen. Um, yeah. So we're. We're making Jun. Have you heard of Jun before? J U N. Mm-hmm. It is like for, for those. Made yeah. Okay. So for those with who don't honey know, and green tea. It. Oh, cool. Is that what they yeah. call it? I always just called it honey and green tea kombucha. Just <laughs> <laughs> okay. how well, into it I am, you know. <laughs> it's kind of a different scoby. Uh, whereas, like the kombucha scoby looks kind of leathery and thick. Um, uh-huh. The Jun scoby looks like this disc of lard. But a very cool guy, Tyler Sewell, uh, just kind of fell into our life one day and poured us some John and we were like, Oh my gosh, this stuff is amazing. Uh, this was about a year and a half ago and we were making our California Oak and orange blossom and Savage Bois and started doing the John in the same space. And any fermentation scientist will tell you that an open SCOBY fermentation alongside a closed stainless steel uh, industrial yeast fermentation is a bad idea, but they're going to close themselves off to what eventually became sour orange orange blossom. So we uh, basically came out with the sour batch and we're like, oh, and then we're like, oh, this is great. We should bottle this. So, <laughs> <laughs> our something something sour meat was our first sour meat. Um, something 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 sour, something sour meat. meat. Really? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Also panned at competitions, but uh, the the customers. Absolutely. Well, love and, and we've, we've talked about this, but you and I talked about this. We had that conver- that two hour conversation a couple of weeks ago and, um, and we've talked about it on the show too. competition and what you sell are often completely different. I mean, yeah, it's nice to have metals to hang around the next of your meads at the, at the tasting room, but when it all comes down to it, it's what the customers want to buy that counts. You're in a business. Okay. You know. And Susan Rudd made that point the first time I went to the Mazer Cup. I, I got to talk with her, and she was like, you know, I think of it as three circles. Um, the means you like to make, the means yeah. that win competitions, and the means that sell. And if you can find the place that all those circles overlap, you're in the sweet spot. But you yeah. got to realize that spot is very small and a moving target. So do what you love and do it at a scale. You can continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and don't be afraid to get to know your peeps, the people who like your stuff. If you can form that, and, and I've seen this over and over again with successful meteries, if you can create that core group of raving fans who think you walk on water and that everything you make is awesome, they're going to go out there and sell your meads for you and create yeah. your own and create your market for you. And that's, and that's, so that's what it's all about. I mean, I really believe that the core of any small craft beverage company's marketing should be around 
focusing in on the the raving fans, the ones that will be your raving fans, because you convince them and they will evangelize for you. That's beautiful, Mickey. Yeah. And then what are the tools to actually do that as a bootstrap operation? You know, I think there's a lot of value in it, figuring that out. There is. Yeah. And uh, to, sorry, AJ was just putting some up on the feed because apparently your feed's dropping. Oh. <laughs> Skype's getting a bad report this time. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I mean, and well, and you and I talked about this at length a couple of weeks ago when we had that um, conversation. But it's it, it really is it you got you got to find out what they like, and then that's what you make, and that's what you sell them. I mean, I would say, and I don't know what kind of I'm assuming that the sour orange blossom is getting a huge reception, but uh, yeah. it would sell it would sell like hotcakes here. I can tell you that because I'd be telling all my friends, going like, "Gotta take this to the beach. That's awesome." You know? <laughs> And hopefully it's, it's an equally elegant beverage as well. It, it really is. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can easily see replacing, um, put this in place of whatever Chardonnay I was thinking about using. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the palate cleansing note that the lactic provides is uh-huh. I think, uh, valuable too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to come this far and we, we hope that, we can share the lessons learned with, with folks. So we're working with the PhD to lock in the lactobacillus that's responsible for the sour orange blossom. Okay. And make it available to whomever. Oh, um, nice. So people will be able to buy this then. Right. Right. That's and then so amazing. To, but the protocol has really been hitting this. Um, you know, when you introduce the lacto at what uh, bricks and what nutrient regimen and, and how you buffer it uh, while maintaining the acidity, there's a lot of unanswered questions there that we're kind of on the cutting slash bleeding edge of. Uh. <laughs> well, you know, you know, okay, Frank, you talked earlier about how you guys crowdsourced your um, your initial funding, well, your secondary yeah. funding. All right, so yeah. crowd crowdsource your research for this. Go to uh, mean. I mean, come on, we're, we're we're literally leaking around the edges of PhDs. They're just falling off the trees. It got me. They're everywhere. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can't swing a cat. You cannot swing a cat without Please. hitting a PhD or a chemistry major. on got me. So um, they're everywhere. So go in there and 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 create that challenge. Go, hey, okay, we've got the lacto. Do you have the will to help us define? Pin down oh the protocol. Yeah. Use the power of the people to get you to where you need to be. Come on. You went to Berkeley for God's sake. Do you want to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I should not have to tell somebody who went to the people's Republic of Ber- Berkeley about this, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, but seriously use the power of the people that are got me on got mead or for that matter on, you know, any of the big meat groups, gather yourself a group of beta testers and create a, and create a project an experimental group where you got controls and everything and if they're part of the beta test group they have to follow the controls and then you can establish your protocols uh so that is a language i don't speak i would need someone to help me speak that language ah, like, okay I, so oh. talk to pete okay well okay pete or another good one would be mike fall no, uh, he's, he's know, an pete, it pete, group, but he's got street. a scientific I mean, yeah Pete's down the real road from you, so he's, yeah, he's, he's but his background he's is in here chemistry. A couple times now. Yeah, his yeah, background's yeah, in we, chemistry, so you know, okay. he's gonna he well, knows that shit. If you call him out, then uh I, I think we can make that happen. Uh yeah. <laughs> I'll let him know that I was like, sure, Pete, like you have like you have so much free time on your hands between now and the major. Um, it's probably gonna have to wait until after mid March. But uh 
Yeah, but that's uh, not too far away. Yeah, we would we would love to get that project rolling because the sours. I mean, there are open orders for the sours. We have distribution in New York and New Jersey, Maryland and DC. Um, if we can get our wildflower sour out there, um, it's the hipsters love the sour meat. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah, they're hipsters. That's what that was, you know, and that's what's really funny. Everybody disses on the hipsters, but I honestly think they may be one of the biggest markets for the meat industry that's out there. <laughs> and I'm a hipster. I'm a raging hipster. Like uh, I, I walked into a business. Wait, wait, you don't have a little? No, 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 You don't have a. You don't have. Uh, you don't have a, 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 a man bun ironic and mustache. a chin beard. Yeah, and an ironic mustache. Soul you're too. Punch. You're far too clean shaven to be a hipster. I'm sorry. Where's your lumberjack shirt? You know. <laughs> We're talking to Frank Allback from Gold and Coast Mead in San Diego here tonight. And I told you at the beginning, it's always a party here at God Mead Live. So uh, if you want to talk to Frank, give us a holler, 818 921 4680. It ought to be on your speed dial by now. My God, how many shows have we done? This is uh, 22 or 23. Yeah. Uh, 818-921-4680. A whole lot more that uh, we really want to get into. Frank, can you stick around for uh, like another segment? Have you got uh, I, I would love to. Uh, let me. I, I'd have to check with the child care, um, but I think. I can oh, are you on? Are you on daddy duty tonight? Uh, yeah. Yep. Free bottle of meat is a long cool. way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell you what, we're going to go, let's go take a commercial break real quick. When we come back, more of Frank from Golden Coast Meads. Uh, There's so much more that we want to talk to him about. Uh, So we're going to step away. Don't wander off. We'll be back. Stick around. Hey, this is J.D. Webb for Got Mead Live. You know, winemaking was a way of life for Sergio Mutello while growing up. As an adult, his winemaking led to brewing beer and ultimately his discovery and passion for mead. Today at Melovino, his mead-making skills has earned him countless awards. His signature meads include Pepino, a light and refreshing cucumber, orange, and lemon session mead, and Sinfonia, called the Scotch of Meads, is made with three honey varietals and a blend of three different oaks. Visit them in Vauxhall, New Jersey at 2933 Vauxhall Road, located in the rear of the Millburn Mall. And be sure and visit them online at melovino.com. Shipping to 22 states, try some Melovino mead yourself and book a tour and tasting. Melovino, a truly unique and exquisite craft mead experience. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rood, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. 
Ram's Meat crafts some of the most coveted meads available in the United States today. The Tasting Room at 327 West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan features Shram's Mead in bottles and special release meads on tap. Shram'sMead.com. If you think you don't like mead, you haven't had a Shram's. Uncompromisingly delicious meads since 2013. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a and we are back live here at got mead live golden coast meads are different lighter bodied Honey Forward but Balanced Golden Coast Meads offers a variety of options from California oak, a powerful oak mead, to sour orange blossom. That's what Vicky's drinking tonight. And a sour mead with wild lactobacillus culture. Uh, Golden Coast Meads drink like a refreshing ale or invigorating sparkling wine. Come in for a taste, and Golden Coast Mead is located in Oceanside, California at 4089 Oceanside Boulevard, Suite H. Uh, this is a subtool uh, complex uh, located 40 miles north of San Diego. You can also order a bottle from vinoshipper.com. Either way, Golden Coast Meads hopes to spread the mirth and arouse people to the beauty of life. Boy, what an ad. <laughs> Yeah, they read good copy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just I got to go back to, I know Vicky's drinking the uh, orange, the sour, the uh, sour, what is it? Sour. It's a sour orange blossom mead. Sour orange blossom mead. And uh, AJ's drinking the orange blossom. Uh, again, AJ, how, how is that? How, how would it, describe that taste again? Maybe we lost it, AJ. Oh. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt myself finishing this. Um, it's just faintly, um, it's effervescent. It's not really, really foamy or anything. It's got an absolutely lovely aroma to it. Um, and the, um, it, the, I love the aroma of orange blossom. I'm hooked. Um, and it's got this, um, there's a, a, I'm not sure if it's an aroma or a flavor. I haven't been able to discern that, but there's something that says dry mead about it that usually I don't like, but in this case I do. So uh, this one, this one's really, really good. And uh, I think Frank uh, looks like Frank might have dropped us. So uh, let me uh, yeah <laughs> call him back, back and yeah. yeah part you, you know everybody's going to hear the phone ringing. That's the one thing hmm. I just, I just yeah can't. I did. They'll, they'll they'll yeah get over <laughs> it, guys. You know, it's, it phones they ring. It's kind of like that. It's yeah, uh, cause no one's ever heard a phone ring before. Yeah, yeah. I made it, Frank. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I see this number pop up on my cell phone, and I'm thinking, who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> then I recognize the number. Oh, Frank. Uh, welcome back, Frank. And uh, again, thanks for sticking around with us tonight. God, there's so many more questions and uh, discussion that we want to have about Golden Coast Mead. Your whole philosophy about the whole mead making thing. Um, you know, uh, I guess we'll start out with this one. Uh, when do you expect to have your uh, estate hive plan uh, set? Oh. 
Cool. Well, we we initially set out strong. Uh, we had 15 hives at one point uh, down here in San Diego County, Fallbrook, the avocado capital of the world. And it quickly dawned on me that beekeeping is really hard work. And running a metery and a apiary uh, was was kind of like I needed to choose. So we put the, the state hive program on hold um, as we grew the company. And now we envision um, a kind of a cool crowdsourced beekeeping program where we kind of have affiliate beekeepers who will guarantee a certain price and a certain quantity of, uh, for a certain quantity of their honey. And hopefully we can turn that into um, this kind of hybrid estate program. And if we sourced enough honey from one neighborhood, we could call it, you know, downtown San Diego mead. Uh, we could call it ocean beach mead. We could call it, um, any one of the neighborhoods in our region and people would dispense for what the nectar from the flowers in that neighborhood tastes like. And therefore the essence of that neighborhood in the glass. Oh, neat. I like Uh, that idea. There's a whole, yeah, so. uh, you know, the whole, the whole movement about local sourcing, uh, you know, local grown, uh, local produce, uh, that kind of thing. So this kind of fits right in, right? Absolutely. And I think when we look at our food system and how we've really made a lot of trade-offs without our volition necessarily, uh, you know, Michael Blonde's book, Cooked, talks about this, how we uh, came back from World War II and there was this kind of tension in the, in the home between the husband and the wife, like, well, who's going to make dinner? Cause the wife had been working while the husband was away at war. Right. And then the food company is just like, snuck right in there and said, don't worry about it. Stouffer's. And then all the trade-offs that have been kind of granted have given us this food system where it takes like five fuel calories for three food calories. And that is a fundamentally uh, compromised system. So how can we change that? And and overnight, we can't. Uh, When I was 21 studying international development at Berkeley, I was hopeful that we could, you know. By by age 30, we'd have the problem licked. Um, But here I am at 30, realizing one of the best things I can do is run Golden Coast Mead and build that model and make that market for organic honey in Southern California. And in doing so, hopefully create an incentive for a new generation of beekeepers and a new generation of landowners to see the value in keeping bees organic and keeping land organic so we can make organic honey and we can make organic mead and we can charge a premium for it. But because that meat is so good, people are happy to pay for it. And we build this ecosystem that we want to live in. So we're taking a page out of Patagonia, the clothing company's book, when they uh, went to their cotton suppliers and said, hey, if you don't go organic with your cotton growth, we're not going to buy from you anymore. And they, they built a market because they were big enough to do so. We, we aspire to do the same thing with Golden Coast Meat. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. What, um, uh, you know, is there such a thing as responsible meat making, I guess? Uh Owning your own yeah. hives and attempting to at least ensure the survival of the bee. So, JD, you, you mentioned that in a couple of podcasts so far, and, and I yeah. think that that is a huge opportunity for us uh, to really like 
carve out meat as a, as a unique thing, right? If you look at a, a monoculture ecosystem where you're just growing one kind of crop, it's a pretty dead ecosystem. There is that crop, but you're spraying all kinds of fertilizers on it and all kinds of pesticides. And so the other life that would exist in that space doesn't. Whereas bees can go on top of a healthy, diverse ecosystem and all the life that that healthy, healthy, diverse ecosystem supports continues. And the bees are just gathering the nectar from the flowers uh, in that ecosystem. And so we can harvest that, turn it into meat. So is that ready to be turned on now? No. I buy my honey from Subi, the biggest co-op of beekeepers in California and, and potentially the country as far as I know. But they're making their money doing um, pollination services. And honey is just kind of a secondary product for them right now. But they see our vision and they're partnering with us uh, and, and hopeful that the meat industry does create a valuable uh, crop out of honey, you know. So instead of being price takers as commodity producers like the grape growers in the 60s and 70s, our beekeepers become price makers. You know, this honey was like, like Amina was talking about uh, recently. This honey was raised this way, so it's worth this much. And the mean maker who sees the value of that can add the value to it that makes it worthwhile on the back end because yeah. the bottle is going to be a premium bottle. Yeah. And there are people that are, and, and you know, I mean, that there, there are those who will say, well, yeah, but that puts it out of the price range. And I'm going, and every single time Ken does a heart of darkness run it sells out long before it ever goes into the bottle because it's premium he's established it yeah. as, an, as a premium brand and you know and it's been backed up by the fact that it's consistently excellent meat so yeah you know if you're doing this then creating a premium brand that people are willing to pay a premium price for is not a problem so one of the things that I wish are that I've learned over the last five years of running Golden Coast Meat is that that intention versus the reality on the ground to make a scalable product that's consistently excellent is pretty hard. And luckily UC Davis is now on board and helping us figure that out. But yeah. in the meantime, you know, we've got to make really wise moves that uh, advance meat making and advance consistency so that when we're out there talking about how awesome meat is, when people taste it for the first time, they go, oh, yeah, where's this been all my life? Why am I drinking anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very enthused. Uh, you know, it was a while back when AJ uh, first told us about, you know, how the, how the wineries operate up in Canada. And uh, even to operate a metery, AJ, correct me if, if I let's let AJ explain it. What's what's the deal? Up, you have to own how many hives? You have to be a licensed beekeeper, and you have to be running. You have to be maintaining no less than a hundred hives. So there is no go small when you want to be a mead maker in Ontario. Right. So okay. they've sort of built. They've oh, sort of built in the. Um, they've sort of built in the sustainability for that. But it's also a barrier for entry, right? Like we couldn't get started as a scrappy uh, college, you know, post-college mead company if we had to make that kind of investment. Um, well, so yeah, I mean, it, there. it does make it very difficult to try to be the, the, the small one or the new kid on the block for that. So probably what I myself am going to end up doing is going as a mead, as a wine maker instead. And, but that still means I need to be able to grow all my own fruit, even though I don't necessarily have to use my, only my own fruit because the way That's they wrote loophole. things. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing is, you know, I have to be able to make this much honey, but I don't have to use it. I could sell it and buy someone else's honey. Well, I look, uh, you know, I look at it from the standpoint, and I I have visually seen this, uh, where we had the ranch in Colorado. I have been back since, and where there used to be just acre upon acre of cornfield, are you know now sit strip malls and big shopping centers and concrete and pavement and sidewalks and palm trees for crying out loud yeah you know and i'm thinking you know what happened to the you know what did they replace the corn with you know um and that's uh, i mean that's got to account for something i mean at what point do we say okay Enough is enough. We got to start giving back. Okay, uh, maybe not in the same ratio that we're taking from, but I mean, at least we need to start giving back. And this is how I see uh, this whole mead making thing. I mean, I would love to see. I don't know if you can make it a rule or a law or whatever. Maybe we're not quite there yet, but at least some point, some contribution uh, from the meaderies back to the environment. If it's you know bee husbandry i guess you call it <laughs> yeah well right now we're donating one percent of our gross revenue to research at ucsd our local research university that uh is researching honeybee health and colony collapse disorder um nosema yeah. which is kind of a bee dysentery uh our our friend dr nye who we support uh his lab came up with kind of a uh, inoculant against it they take the fungal spores of the nosema and they autolyze them they uh, they kill them and then they feed them to the baby bees and in the lab it's been like ninety percent effective at like knocking out nosema, uh, which is pretty huge. They're looking for an industrial partner to uh, bring that to market. So if anyone knows anyone, uh, feel free to get in touch with me and I'll forward you Dr. Nye's info. But that that could be huge, right? Because nosema is one of the lab. So you know, hopefully we can make an impact. In that way, but, but JD, what, you, what you're talking about to me is permaculture, which is this uh, movement towards a restorative agriculture instead of just being sustainable, because where we're at, the status quo, I would argue, it isn't really sustainable. We've got we've to make it better. We've got to make it regenerative. We've got to restore the systems that we depend on for life. So there's a whole wing of uh, folks who are really looking at that um, it's called permaculture and if you want to spend a few hours on the internet man it'll just blow up into uh into a whole course of study but i think how do you optimize economic returns ecological responsibility and social responsibility and that's you know the the new economy economy 2.0 we we inherited this operating system for our economy that didn't care about where things came from or where they went when you were done with them but now that we've got 7 billion people on the planet, we should rewrite that operating system. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I go back to, you know, the, the area that I came from in Colorado, like I said, where where there used to be cornfields, and I mean acres, hundreds of acres of cornfields, now sits, it's all concrete. Now, what happened? What replaced, I mean, where, you know, uh, you know where, where did that corn go? I mean, what are they doing to make up for it, you know? Oh, they've probably, they're probably using GMO corn that grows faster and better and more efficient. So you get more heads, more ears of corn per stalk. So you don't need as much land area to do it in. That's my guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or importing it or, um, well, you know, yeah. and, the, and, and the time that I spent on the ranch, I mean, we were, we were almost, we were about 95% self-sufficient. I mean, we raised all of our own produce, poultry, beef, uh, you know, everything. Uh, and, uh, I'm all about giving back to the land. Uh, it's been bred into me, uh, from a, from a young age, uh, after time on a, uh, on my grandfather's ranch. So it's almost part of my DNA and I, and I totally agree with it. We have to give back. Uh, and I like the idea of what you guys stand for and what you're doing and at least the thought process that goes into your, you know, into your metery here. So. Thanks. Well, I think the whole industry can stand for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk about crafting a comeback for the bee. Yep, you know, and I, and I and I've talked about uh, and I've asked questions, uh, and, and you know who we should have on the sh- on the show with us with Frank is Amina Harris again. Mm. God, we got to get her back. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Frank, JD's in love, and his wife's gonna have to kill him. <laughs> you know, uh, I come back. I mean, I I, I got concerned. I got concerned because I came upon and, and, and this was just by happenstance. I knew nothing about it until I happened upon this video about the declining bee population and the bee colony collapse. And it was, it's, it really hit me hard. And I thought, Oh, holy yeah. crap. You know, we're all going to oh, die, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, One in four bites of food. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, that would be if, God forbid, there would be a massive die-off to the point where bees became unsustainable. Um, you know, like you say, one in four bites of food, that's a 25% die-off. That's, uh, you know, that would make those population reduction people happy, but pretty much everybody else would probably be pretty unhappy about that, you know. I'm already paying six bucks for a cauliflower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing the articles about the $6 cauliflowers. Y'all get cauliflower loans up there? Yeah, we're talking about, you know, taking out a second mortgage just so we can have cauliflower. You know, I wonder if those, can, can I cross the border with those? Because they're only like two ninety nine in the store here. I'll buy up a box of them and ship them to you. I can ship them to you. We can call I'm them, sure there's a agricultural product. I'm sure there's some some reason why you could. Restriction, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think... It, these these questions, you know, you guys are are so upbeat. And when we talk about me and drink me together, usually it's a positive conversation. I think <laughs> I want to, you know, I, I throw in that like need is could be the answer. You know that um, that a whole ecosystem and economy built off of these kinds of intentional choices made at the personal level, so that when people look at the store shelf and they ask, "Where did this come from?" This actually differentiates the products that cost maybe 20% more, but gives back to the land. And so people are okay paying that extra 20% because it solves this fundamental angst that we have of like, by buying this basket of goods, what world am I creating? You know, and, yeah. and if all of a sudden those companies saw that their revenues were just plummeting because there was a serious effort by the consumers to understand what went into these products and need is honey and water and yeast and that's it, you know, and at its fundamentals, 
It is not a monoculture. It is a ecosystem that is abundant and beautiful. Then people are going to be like, why would I drink anything else? And, exactly. and hopefully the mead party is the happiest, most abundant party out there. Well, uh, yeah. you know, and I think there's, I mean, there's, there has to be a lot more to this than just dumping a bunch of honey and yeast and water into a fermenter and, you know, putting an airlock on top. I mean, this, Right. Uh, the honey. Comes. Well, I don't know. I made some pretty good meads doing that, but yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's the marketing that's the problem. Yeah. But I think what uh, what really what really got my interest in this whole culture was the fact that you know it takes a lot of honey to make a bottle of mead, and I thought there's a pound. In one yeah. of my bottles. And uh, mm-hmm. honey, I mean, it's not like there's just, a, you know, a couple million pounds of honey at your local grocery store. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it's not like buying corn on the cob for crying out loud. So the average age of a California beekeeper, professional California beekeeper, 70 years old. Oh, wow. Wow. No one wants to do it anymore because it's a lot of hard work and you don't get paid. I mean, that, that stat may be out of date. I've been quoting that stat for a while. But uh, I, when you go to these beekeeper conventions, there's like one guy in his 20s, and then the rest are in their 50s, 60s, 70s. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've oh, got wow. to show folks that they can make a real living keeping bees well. Um, and, and I think meat is a big part of that. You know, then Davi and Gallo saw the same opportunity with wine, right? Like 50s and 60s, 70s, it was just red table wine, white table wine. Wow. And then they... Mm-hmm. Here, here. So, <laughs> yeah, and you <laughs> well, guys are and, helping. Absolutely. It's an ecosystem. Well, and, 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 you know, I mean, they're still, to a certain extent, they're still doing that. That's not as, you know, 50s and 60s as you might think. I did a, I did a, um, I don't know, uh, there's, uh, there's uh, a meadery out in, in Western North Carolina that I did a summer doing, uh, I was selling his meads for him at a farmer's market in North Raleigh. And wow. He was just trying to spread it, you know, spread out into more areas, but also to just kind of get a sense of, you know, what is the big why? Why would his market, who is this market and why would they want me? And so it, it ended up being a summer of social experimentation of asking them, you know, what do you like to drink in, in an alcoholic beverage? And for the wine drinkers, the answers I got most often were I like red or I like white. You know, I mean, um, they just, you know, I mean, it would be like red what? White what? You know, I mean, Chardonnays, Rieslings, Cabernet, White Merlots. Yeah, I go, do you like Cabernets or do you like Merlots? Do you like, uh, you know, do you, do you like Pinot Noir? What 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 do you like? And and they were like, red. Red. I like red. <laughs> Merlot, this is Merlot so, is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Merlot's Merlot, yeah. real good. I like me a Merlot. Yeah. Merlot. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I mean, it was just really funny because, and, and I shouldn't, you know, I mean, I shouldn't pick on, you know, folks, but the thing that got me was how little <laughs> yes, they actually how little they actually knew about the wine they were drinking. Basically, they were buying, it's like buying a book by its cover. They were going, oh, I like the label on that one. It's got a duck's head on it. I'm going to get that one. Right. You know? And, right. You know, and, and, and that's cool. You know, I mean, they liked it and all, but, you know, it's like I felt kind of bad for them because I'm like, well, you need to try this stuff. This is different. You might like this. Again, we're talking uh, to Frank Galbeck from Golden Coast Meads out of San Diego, California. And, uh, I mean, it's just a party night here on God Mead Live. Uh, Frank, is, is there are 
you know, my doctor has all but prescribed a glass of red wine for me, you know, every day. Uh, Great. And um, I'm wondering, and I really haven't gotten into it, but I'm wondering if there are any medicinal values to drinking mead. Oh, that's, uh, that's great. So, Dr. Charlie Bansworth, the chair of brewing science at uh, UC Davis, gave the keynote at the first UC Davis Mead Maker Seminar. And yeah, he was he was about, good, wasn't he? He <laughs> was great. I mean, let alone the fact that he was like, I was doing my preparation research for my talk, and I... Uh, to put it in context, there are hundreds of articles on the science of winemaking, hundreds of articles on the science of beer making, published in the last 10 years. I found 50 on the science of mead making, published in the last 50 years, you know. Mm. <laughs> and he's like, I would like to know some questions, like what kind of honey with what kind of yeast makes what kind of mead? And all of us in the audience, you know, Ken Shrin, Michael Fairbrother, home enthusiasts, people are just looking at getting into the industry, like look at each other like, are you serious? That's why we're here. Yeah, right <laughs> there. You, and it, uh, you were supposed to tell to us, us that stuff, yeah. yeah. And then, well, and then when he did that, you know, after they stopped and got over the shock, they were like, me, 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 pick me, pick me, it was really funny, yeah. I, guess, I suppose so, the person to ask would be, you know, and here's the number again, 818-921-4680 if you want to talk to Frank. But uh, and I, I know I know Mississippi Chris is listening. And he might be the one I need to ask. Chris, get on the phone. <laughs> right, he's our, our resident yeah. surgeon. Chris, put down the wine and get on the phone, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doctor Vanforth said that the Leveratrol quote in red wine uh, may just be uh, the product of of marketing. Um, but really the benefit of alcohol, he said there was a longitudinal study and I'm going to muss up the details, but it was basically like they looked at a cohort of folks across all different income and socioeconomic ranges and analyzed their market basket, what they bought uh, on a regular basis and whether they were buying uh, lean meat and produce uh, in their, in their basket with a expensive bottle of red wine every night, or they were buying uh Wonder Bread and cigarettes and Bud Light. Um, Bud if they Light. drink, no, 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 no. The, wonder, the Wonder Bread and the Wonder Bread and cigarettes crowd. They they buy PBR. <laughs> well, I, I he was like, as long as they drank a a glass or two of alcohol a night with friends, they had a longer life. Yeah, because it's it, lower. But is it the alcohol or is it the with friends? It's the with friends. It's you were lowering so stress Maybe levels. both. Yeah. yeah, maybe both. And that it's a, it's a counteract or a counterpoint to, to cortisol. And so that stress reduction that it affords, like you guys get every week with uh, the, the show here, uh, it, <laughs> it it seems to, you know, make make the, the rough edges a little softer. And yeah. uh, over time, hopefully that helps. Well, if there was, I mean, uh, you know, because like I say, uh, my doctor, my cardiologist specifically has basically instructed me, for lack of a better uh, way to describe it, to drink a, a glass of red wine a day. Now, uh, I have no idea if there's any medicinal value to drinking mead uh, or not, but on the line with us is the guy who could probably answer that question for us. 
Welcome. Hi, Chris. Chris. Hi, Chris. All right. Hey, I, 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 I couldn't say, say about no medicinal properties. I don't know, but I'm going to say there is and enjoy it. There you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, honey being a very medicinal uh, ingredient, and in, you know, in mead making, I, I've often thought, gee, I wonder if there's any value to uh, to. I mean, uh, uh, well, much of the much of the, the he, yeah, I mean, much of the qualities that you look at honey for antiseptic, antibacterial, uh, antifungal, and, you know, I mean, it's a preservative. It's, you know, it, it, you can heal wounds with it. There's all these things you can do with honey. Um, not to mention it's the only complete, it's complete food. You can, you know, basically sustain yourself on a starvation diet with honey for months. But the problem is, is once you ferment it, a lot of that goes bye-bye. You know, I mean, it's not that, that, that turning it into mead makes it a bad thing. It's just that those overt qualities aren't necessarily applicable once it's turned into alcohol. Yeah. Well, I think some of those qualities have to do with the sugar content, too. Yes. We have a doctor in our hospital who treats um, uh, decubitus, which is a, a med source, uh, with honey and egg whites 